this week on Inside Motorsport, Tony Whitlock catches up with Ian Tate and finds out more about historic racing in Victoria and how he became involved in motorsport. I hope you'll stay with us. Welcome to Inside Motorsport. I'm here at Phillip Island with Ian Tate. It's day two of the 2021 uh, Victorian Historic Register of Racing Cars. And Ian, welcome back. You spoke with us a year ago. It's still COVID times, but the event's still surviving. Certainly, it's been a challenge over the last 12 months for everyone, especially for people racing their lovely old cars. And the majority of competitors haven't raced their car for 12 months, 12 months ago, this weekend. And uh, it is fantastic to see the response from everyone supporting the race movement. We had 335 cars competing today. We had probably 40 or 50 withdrawals because of problems on borders and people unsure about lockdowns and didn't want to get caught. But we still have 335 live entries as of day and we've had a fantastic day's worth of racing. The weather's been great. A week ago we found out we could have spectators and they even have spectators come in the pits and enjoy it, looking at the cars, taking photos. We've had about 600 spectators a day and hopefully we have the same number tomorrow. And it's turned out a fantastic weekend. It's great to see the crowd down here supporting it. We only got the message out by Facebook and uh, social media and we've had a fantastic response. And there are some fantastic old cars here and, uh, and some fantastic old buggers driving them. <laughs> there it certainly is. Uh, today we had the five litre cars. Uh, it's only a, a super sprint. And we had Tim Slade from Bathurst the other day racing one of those cars. And this happened yesterday and we swung in Tim Blanchard from the Cool Drive team. And he's driving one of the other supercars. Fantastic. Uh, so then you come down to John Bauer down here supporting us again, that lovely Allard, the Shelby Allard. Um, so yes, we've had a lot of... I mean, it was fantastic. I was up there this morning and uh, a young guy about eight was there with his brand new beautiful camera, very expensive camera, wanting to talk to some of the drivers. So I've got Jonathan, Jonathan Webb to put the kid in the car. Yeah. And his eyes are up. Jonathan took some photos of him sitting in the car. Yeah. And you should have seen the kid. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. Yes. I want to actually talk about your background because there's a lot of people out there, um, and of course, who never knew what a thing called HDT was and, and various other things. So, um, yeah, because not everyone is in their 50s and 60s. No, true, whatever. true. Um, and uh, as you well know, that there are an awful lot of people who are coming to motorsport later in life, but they're actually only in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> true. <laughs> so let's let's go back to you. Born in Glen Iris and grew up there, fairly normal up, family. I grew up there and uh, dad never had a car. The grandfather had a car and he had an old, he lived opposite us and he had a 1926 Packard, uh, four-seater, so Pop used to take us everywhere. That's a straight uh, six-pack Straight six-pack hard, a lovely old car, Tourer, an old Tourer, uh, running boards down the side, and, um, but the uncle used to race uh, a few times in, on a motorbike at Olympic Park or somewhere, and um, he, the grandfather banned him from racing anymore, but he was always interested, and he took me to uh, Altona and the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park in 53, I still remember that very vividly, and it was, uh, I was lucky. That uh, just around the corner where I lived, Harry Firth had a workshop at Turek and Burke Road, and I used to watch through the windows because the footpath was elevated from his 
bench, work bench. How old were you then? I was about 12, 13, 14. And I used to go down there and wash through the window and then he got upset about that, pissed off with that. He said, he said, Graham Hornful, he said, get that kid off there. I don't want him standing out there anymore. Come inside. Stand there. Don't talk. Just see what's going on. Watch him. So I was allowed to watch him and, and learn from him. He was a grumpy old bugger, but he was a very, very astute man for the time period that was. And then uh, I got married in 63 and um, in February. And first of uh, end of June, uh, Norm Firth, his brother rang me up, would you like to come and talk to us? And I started work with Harry and Norm full time, paid from the 1st of July, 63. Had you done an apprenticeship? I'd done an apprenticeship in, uh, in, in Glenaris at a sub-holding dealership, Glenaris Motors, and I spent uh, six years. This is in the era, of course, when there were suburban holding dealers. There were little sub-dealers, and we, were, uh, we had a, a fantastic spare parts department, a full-time spare parts guy. We, because it was the early modern FJs and FEs, they were great cars to work on, fantastic motor cars. But I joined Harry uh, and uh, down at Phillip Island here. We come down here in 60 uh, with a, a singer gazelle and uh, had the misfortune to break rocker arms. So I, I replaced rocker arms twice during the race. I think about 11 minutes the first one and about 10 and a half minutes for the second one. Uh, but it, was, it could have been a good car. Um, of course, the next two years we came down with Bob Jane again, uh, Harry Firth and... and um, Johnny Rayburn and the singer Gazelle, and then Harry joined up with Bob Jane, who he'd known for years, and uh, and uh, we went on to win the next two Philip Islands, Philip Island here in a Falcon, and uh, a Mercedes Benz. It was a 220 Mercedes, I think. 220. So that was a four cylinder? It was six cylinder. Six -cylinder. Uh, it was a demo car mm -hmm. uh, that Bob bought, um, low mileage, and I think we changed all the oil. There was a fuel injected. Uh, he got uh, guy to uh, Mercedes to look after the fuel injection part of it, and uh, we reason packed the front wheel ferries and uh, changed all the oils and brake fluids and went racing. Uh, first lap, uh, Bob got a puncher, and of course in those days the driver had to change the tyre for the, on the first hundred mile. Had to work on the car, so Bob didn't have an idea where the boot was or where the jacket, because you had to use the jacket and wheel brace in the car. Yeah. In those days. So it was a challenge. But anyway, they dropped a couple of laps and with hard driving, they fought it back. But the Falcon here, yeah, uh, Harry come down on the Friday. It was a closed track on Friday. And they were sweeping. The track is a lot different then and now. It was very loose. Yes. They sweep. They had a track sweeper on. And uh, Harry tipped the Falcon over uh, on the Friday afternoon, flattened it. Harry didn't come back to Melbourne. And I, I, I wasn't working for him full time then, obviously. So after work, uh, Bob Chain, Norm Firth, uh, Bob's mechanic and uh, another guy, we said two, we had a, a spare white falcon and we took the windscreen ticker off it and the number plates off it and took the engine and transmission and gearbox out of it and put it in the new shell. And of course we appeared down here at uh, 9 o'clock the next morning with a new car and they couldn't believe what had happened. Uh, we had we power put the car out and get it running. But anyway, they went out and won that race and of course went to Bathurst. So it was a six on the Falcon. Six on the old Falcon, yeah, terrible Three thing. on the tree. Three on the tree, no roll bar, seat belt to hold you in, and that was it. And uh, they, they comfortably run the race in, in, in front of the studio back of Larks. And uh, we went to Bathurst with a Cortina. That was the first year of the Cortina, and Bob and Harry won that race. Uh, so we run three on the trot there. And I was lucky to be involved in the preparation of the car and, uh, and a mechanic on the car in pit stops. Um, the next year, we Harry joined with Bob. Uh, 
Johnny Rayburn, and we broke an earth strap. Uh, the earth strap off the battery was about 18 to 10, 12 inches long, and it fatigued and broke. And we had a spare car in a pit somewhere, went to grab that, and they still finished second. So it was a learning curve. Of course, then Harry was commissioned by Ford to build a GT500, so we built 117 GT500s at work at Queens Avenue. Right. Um, Frank Lamb's done the gearboxes, Frank's for and uh, I think he's doing three gearboxes a day. <laughs> I was doing the port and polishing the heads and valve seats and whatever. Gosh. And uh, the, they had uh, some friends of Norman Harris come in the night time and put petrol tanks in, and we had beautiful S-coops in the front. They were the first purposeful built car to win Bathurst. Yeah. A Lowe's Katuna gearbox, a terrible gearbox, 60 mile hour first gear. <laughs> Very hard to get off the line. But it was built for Bathurst. And uh, Harry wasn't allowed to run a GT500 in Bathurst because they reckoned that he'd build a 116 average one and one good one for himself. So Harry had a class car. Not a written... Anyway, we went to Bathurst and um, Harry's a very, very long distance driver. Fantastic at hill climbs. Uh, when he went to hill climbs, he'd take four, five, six cars in hill climb. In those days, you won, uh, you'd run a class up uh, Templestowe, Rob Roy, 15 pound. If you break a, a record, I've done a 15 pound. Yeah. So Harry, by running three or four cars, would come home, you know, 20 quid was a lot of money in those days for a mechanic. Yes. He'd come home with two or three class wins, a new record, yeah, okay. very comfortable. Talking with Ian Tate, and we'll be back to continue talking about the days of free uh, HDT. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.